Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Well, hello, Real Life Church. It's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again this week. Thank you so much to all of you who brought school supplies in and donated them. We took those to a school in Laverne. Uh, They're so appreciative of that. There's so many parents who are struggling this year and who looked at a long list of school supplies and weren't sure how they were going to be able to provide for that. And so many of you, you just brought in a, a truckload of school supplies that we were able to donate. So thank you Thank you for your generosity to that. Also, thank you to all of you who volunteered at our Wednesday Kids Program. Uh, Many of our school districts have what they're calling Wellness Wednesday, where kids don't have uh, the same class regimen that they normally do. And we've been able to provide a safe, healthy space for kids, uh, honoring all the the health requirements, uh, but a place for kids to go and to get tutoring and to be together and to do their PE requirements outside. Uh, it's, It's been great to be able to do that, and we could not have done that without so many helpful volunteers who jumped in and said, yes, I want to help provide uh, for the kids and provide for the community. So thank you all for that. You've been, uh, you continue to be so gracious during 2020, during this uh, crazy year. Uh, you know, this year, this, this week, uh, my kids were playing Christmas music around the house. And I said, what are you doing that for? And they said, it makes it feel like 2020 is going to be over sooner if, if it's already Christmas time. So here we are playing Christmas music months in advance because we're ready for for 2020 to be done. So thank you to all of you who've been so patient and generous and who have uh, who've kept your, your shoulder to the ministry and done so much good in this season where, where it's so tempting just to shut down and withdraw. Uh, so thank you for, for taking part in all of our ministries. Thank you to those who have continued to donate generously to our weekly offerings that has kept real life afloat and kept us doing ministries in some great ways. So thank you for all that. Uh, let's, uh, let's uh, oh, before we, before we pray, make sure that you stop and comment in whatever you're looking at. Comment over here, wherever there are comments on your thing. Uh, Raul Herrera, our new student minister, arrives uh, Sunday, this Sunday, and uh, we want you to say hi to him. He's been following along online every Sunday with us, but now you can say hi to him. He's in town, he's in person, uh, and I want, want you to get to know him, but you can start by saying hi to him in whatever comment section on your device, wherever that is, comment there. Uh, And now, let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you love us, and I thank you that in this uh, sort of a miserable year, you're still uh, alive and active, living and present and on the move. And I ask that you'd move in our hearts, teach us to love in your name, teach us to care in your name, teach us to forgive in your name. God, in a, a season of so much tension and anxiety, teach us to be gracious. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts Be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, we are in a series of teachings now called Jesus Isn't King. It sounds blasphemous, doesn't it? But it's actually uh, from the behavior of Jesus himself, because in John chapter 6, the people tried to make him king by force, and he evaded them because he would not be the kind of king they wanted. 
Uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people say, we want a king to rule over us. And God says, no, you don't. If you have a king, you'll favor the king over me. And they say, no, we do want a king. And so God gives them a king anyway. Uh, and they get to suffer the consequences of that decision. There, there are multiple times in the scriptures where God rejects the kind of power and authority we want him to have because there's a different kind of power and authority he actually does have. And we're in the midst of this series of teachings because it's election season. We're coming up on what uh, promises to be one of the most cantankerous elections, I think, in my lifetime. And I want to prepare the church to be the church. I'd love us to come out in December with people all over the place saying, look at how the Christians love each other. Look at how they love each other. I can't believe the way they are. I mean, they don't always agree with each other, but they always treat each other with respect. They, they don't like what's going on in the world, but they don't go on their social media and insult people and call them names. They, they seem like they actually want to love people into God's kingdom instead. They don't... They, they have, they have real moral rights and wrongs, but they don't go around picking up stones to throw at people who, whose lives they disagree with. Instead, they, they actually like, act like they want to woo people into the presence of Jesus. Look at how the Christians love each other. They must know something I don't. They must know someone I don't. That's Jesus' vision for the church in this year. And so in this series, I want to look at the kind of power that Jesus actually has and wants, the way that we honor him in giving him authority, so that we'll turn away from some of the other kinds of authorities we may go chasing after, like the kingdoms of this world. There's a passage in Matthew 26 in which Jesus is arrested right at the end of his life just before he's crucified. Judas goes and betrays him with a kiss. The Romans grab him. Uh, they seize him. And there's a moment where one of his disciples uh, starts to defend him. Uh, another one of the Gospels will tell us this is Peter. Here in Matthew, it doesn't name him, but Peter goes to defend Jesus. Uh, and here's how the story goes. In Matthew chapter 26, starting in the middle of verse 50. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, that's Peter, drew it and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Uh, another one of the Gospels tells us this guy's name is Malchus. Uh, why do you think he cut off Malchus' ear? It's because he was swinging at his forehead, and Malchus flinched. Peter actually tried to murder this guy. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. There's a moment in the life of Jesus where he says, look, I have all of this power at my disposal. I could call down angels to protect me if I wanted to, an army of them. I could tell you all to grab your swords and fight for me. Other religious leaders in history have done that kind of thing. But that's not what I'm about. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. 
And that teaching tells us a little bit about the kind of authority and power that Jesus actually wants us to have. Don't be afraid when Jesus tries to disarm you. If he's taking something out of one hand, it's so he can put something different in the other. If he takes your sword away, he's going to arm you with something else. Let's look at how Jesus actually wants to disarm and re-empower us today. I teach at a university, a little university, and uh, right around final exam times, uh, the students always ask me questions about what they can take into the test. They say, can I fill out a little note card with all kinds of notes and use that as kind of a cheat sheet on the exam? Can I use that as, as a help on the exam? And I say, no, you can't have a note card. And then they say, well, okay, but can I, can I use my phone? I might need to look up you know, some definitions of words as I take the exam. Can I, can I use my phone on the test? No, you can't use your phone on the test. And then they say, uh, well, can I, can I sit next to my friend? I was like, no, I know what you're going to do. You can't sit next to your friend. And so I take all of these tools away from the students because I want their brains to go, grow stronger. I know if they don't have any of the other tools to use, the only tool they can depend on is their brains. And that's the tool I care about. I want them to grow smarter, and so I take away tools that I don't want them to use, like cheat sheets and phones and the friends sitting next to them. Uh, the way we are designed to work is that if certain tools are taken away from us, other tools grow stronger in their place. I'll give you another instance. You've heard probably that people who are blind have stronger hearing, that their hearing gets stronger because they've lost their sight. That's only partially true. Here's what's actually going on. There's a part of your brain known as the visual cortex, and when you are blind, the visual cortex gets bored. It doesn't have enough to do. It doesn't have constant visual stimulation if you're blind. And so the brain actually rewires itself. There's this thing called neuroplasticity. You don't need to remember that word. There's a thing called neuroplasticity, which means sort of the flexibility of your brain. And if your brain isn't being used in one way, it kind of shifts and changes around in there and uses itself for other things. And so people who are blind have a heightened, uh, strengthened area of their brain because the visual cortex has reoriented itself to help serve the hearing function. So a blind person's ears are not any different, but their brain has actually reoriented itself to, to strengthen uh, the other senses. So uh, there's actually, uh, I, I watched a documentary uh, by a scientist who studies echolocation, you know that thing that bats use, bats are blind, but they can fly around without running into trees because they use a, a kind of a, a sonar uh, and, and they can find their way around. Or perhaps uh, if you've been fortunate out here in California, you've been uh, snorkeling or scuba diving and you've heard the little clicks of dolphins. You know, dolphins make those little, those little clicking noises. And that's a, that's a kind of uh, communication and, and echolocation by which uh, they find their way around. Well, I watched a, an interview between a scientist who studies echolocation and a blind man who has actually trained himself to get around with echolocation. A blind man who can walk down an unfamiliar street and not run into any objects because he makes clicking noises with his tongue and he can hear the echoes back. Uh, the interview was fascinating. The, the two of them, it was done by BBC News. The two of them uh, came up to a tree and the blind man could actually name where the tree was, how tall it was, and where the branches first jutted out. It actually showed him riding a bicycle around and not running into anything because he used these little clicks that he made with his tongue and could hear the echoes back. 
When one tool is taken away from us, our brains, our, our hardwired uh, innate uh, matter, right, designed by the creator, reorients itself so that when one tool is weaker, another tool becomes stronger. When one tool is taken away from us, another takes its place. That's how God made us. Now, here's another example. This is going to freak you out a little bit. Um, I have a friend who is just gifted in the area of prophecy. Uh, his name is Jordan Sang. He's a pastor in Hawaii. He and I used to work together, and he's got a great book out called Miracle Work, if you want to learn more about his personal story. Uh, but he uh, practices the gift of prophecy, uh, which the Bible tells us all of us ought to pray for. Uh, and that means he can really hear from God in a clear and distinct way. He, when he was younger, was so convinced that if he, if he muted his other senses, he would hear from God all the more clearly, that he spent a day praying and wearing a blindfold. He thought, well, if I, if I close my eyes off from the world, maybe my, my hearing of God's voice will strengthen. And I've actually seen him meet people for the first time and tell them personal details about their life with a great degree of specificity that he couldn't have known in any natural way. Well, that's because our souls are designed by the same person who designed our bodies. And our bodies work such that if one part of the body is weaker, other parts of the body compensate for it. And our souls work the same way. The same God made them, and there are similarities. When, when we limit what our souls can chase after in one place, our souls chase after other things. I'll give you a, a more common example from the spiritual realm. Uh, there's a, a Christian discipline that's been practiced historically called fasting, where Christians will give up often food for a day or more to commit themselves to prayer. Jesus talks about fasting a number of times and says, when you do it, here's how to do it, with the assumption that Christians will be doing it, that his followers will be doing it. Fasting cuts us off from temporary satisfaction, from food, to make our souls go chasing after eternal satisfaction, to go chasing after communion with Jesus. Fasting is that, that act of limiting the soul in one place so that it will grow in another, cutting ourselves off from the, the satisfaction and pleasure of eating so that it will go chasing after heavenly food. The same God who made our bodies made our souls, and they work in the same way. And, and when some of our tools are limited or taken away, other tools grow and take their places. So now, what does that have to do with Peter taking a sword and trying to cut off the, the head of uh, one of the guards? Jesus goes to disarm Peter. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. But he's going to put new tools in the hands of his followers so we can go about the work of Jesus in even more powerful ways. Here's one of the ways that Jesus tries to disarm us. This is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then, then come and offer your gift. Jesus wants to disarm us of our anger and re-empower us with love. He wants to take away from us the 
passion for revenge and put in us a passion to heal. That's what Jesus wants. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's what you want. If that's not what you want, do a serious reevaluation of whether or not you want to follow Jesus. Because following Jesus entails dropping the things that he tells you to drop and taking up the things that he wants you to take up. He wants us to let go of our anger and revenge to take up a life of healing and love. Or here again, uh, again, Matthew chapter 5, same chapter, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus wants to disarm us of the most natural instincts we have, the desire to defend ourselves and fight back. That, that basic, natural, animalistic instinct that nobody could blame you for because everybody has it. Jesus wants that. He wants to take that from you. That, that instinct you have to get back at people that make your girlfriend say, that's totally valid. Jesus wants you to hand that over too. All the desire to resist and fight back, place that in his hands and watch what he does with it. Because what he wants to put in your hands in its place is the power to heal. Jesus has given you through his power the ability to say, be healed in the name of Jesus and see healing occur. But you can't heal with the hand that's holding a sword. You have to put the sword down first. This is the calling of Jesus. He wants to disarm us in order to empower us in other ways. And to follow Jesus, we have to be willing to play by his rules. We have to be willing to take up the tools that he wants us to carry and not use the tools that he's told us to put down. Here then are three of the tools that he wants to give us. Here are the three of the tools that he wants to put in our hands. First of all, uh, I was at uh, Walmart a couple weeks ago and I saw uh, a mom with a toddler. And the toddler was frustrated and angry and tired. And the, the toddler would respond out of, uh, out of his anger and frustration with a, a rain of blows of tiny little fists against his mom anytime he wouldn't get what he wanted. And she would take his hands in hers and she would say, use your words. Use your words. What she was doing was she was taking the tools away from him that he wanted to use throwing fists at her in order to give him a tool that was going to serve him better through the course of his life. Because in a, as an adult, if you're still throwing fists at people, you're going to get arrested and your, your words will not be effective. But if you learn to hold your fists and use your words well, you'll have all the more power and influence as an adult later in life. Jesus wants to give us words that matter, words that change the world, words that heal. And that requires us to not use our fists quite so often. In 2020, a lot of Christians have had weak words. Don't be surprised that no one listens to us when what we do first is take swings at people. 
But on the other hand, I've seen Christians whose words are wise and measured, thoughtful and kind, rather than angry and impulsive. And those are the people that I go back to and listen to again, because their words count. When, when one tool is taken out of our hands, other tools grow stronger, and Jesus wants us to put down revenge in order to take up words that matter. Secondly, Jesus wants to give us influential relationships, relationships that actually change people. And I want to read to you um, a story from a, a book that I've uh, been reading called Translating God by Sean Boltz. Um, and uh, he describes going to a Christian conference to listen to a Christian speaker uh, give, a, give a lecture. Uh, but he's reflecting on the way to the conference about a friend of his uh, who is a manager in the entertainment industry. Uh, Sean Bowles uh, used to be in Glendale and he had a number of connections in Hollywood and thereabouts. And he had a, a friend who's a manager uh, in the entertainment industry who had just shared a story with him about meeting uh, with a mega celebrity and things that God was doing in her life. Listen to this story. Uh, Bolt says now, I arrived at a conference early and went to uh, one of the speaker's sessions. I was on a spiritual high because one of my new believer friends had just told me his story that day. He was an entertainment manager, and he had been a drug addict until a year ago when he radically gave his life to Jesus. During that time, his clients shifted, and one of them is one of the most famous pop stars in the world. He finally went to one of her concerts to reconnect with his old world, and just say hello again after a whole year. And afterwards, he was invited into the backstage party. There were a lot of drugs, but the pop star invited him over to a more private seating area. What's going on, she asked. You're usually in the middle of the party, implying he wasn't using drugs. What's up? She wasn't using drugs either, and he noticed that. This is going to sound cliche, but I met Jesus. I've been sober a year, and I'm the happiest I've ever been. She smiled. I knew something profound happened. You have to tell me all about your journey. He was so surprised she wanted to hear his whole testimony and about all the changes he had gone through since becoming a Christian. He related how easy it was to protect his love for God himself and his family now that he was a Christian, and drugs were off the table for him forever. This is the most real spiritual pursuit story I have ever heard, she declared. I'm not ready to become a Christian, but will you pray with me that I have an encounter with God in a real way like you have? They prayed and cried together. It was a beautiful seed planted. So fast forward to the conference with a very well-known speaker that uh, I didn't know personally. I went to his session to get to know him, and you know what? He was amazing, except for one thing. He said, quote, there is this very well-known pop singer, and you know her name. And he named her, and it was the woman that he had just heard a story about, the woman who is uh, spiritually searching. The speaker went on, she's responsible for immorality in the younger generation, and God is going to judge her. Immediately, I disengaged from his entire talk and was screaming, no, in my heart. I wanted to jump up and say, she just doesn't know the love of God. Don't talk about her because she's close. And if she heard what you were saying, she would think God hates her because you do. If we replace the contempt we have for a broken world with a love for broken people, 
God will change the world in amazing and powerful ways through us. We don't go around changing the world by shaming people and calling them out. That very rarely wins anybody over. But when we love people who are broken, when we tell them our stories and offer to pray for them, it changes hearts. After all, most likely that's how God got you. God wants to give us words that change the world and relationships that influence others. And finally, God wants to use our lives, the sacrifice of our lives, the offering up of our lives to change the world by pointing towards kingdom realities that don't exist anywhere else in this world. There's a, a story in the, the novel uh, Les Mis, Les Miserables, by, uh, Jean, by um, Victor Hugo, uh, which of course is the famous uh, stage play now, uh, Les Mis. Uh, and the main character, Jean Valjean, has this encounter with a priest early on in the novel. It's a giant novel, by the way. It's like a brick. You can stand it up on any side, and it stands just fine. Uh, but there's this encounter that Jean Valjean has where he, uh, he escapes prison, and he ends up staying at the house of this priest. The priest lets him in, feeds him, takes care of him, gives him a bed. And nonetheless, in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean wakes up and steals all the silver from the house and runs away. The next day, there comes a knock at the door. And the police have caught Jean Valjean with a, a bag full of silver. And he, they bring him in front of the priest and they say, did he steal all of this from you? And the priest looks at Jean Valjean and says, no, I gave it to him. And look, he says, Jean, you, you forgot the candlesticks. I gave you these as well. And he gives him silver candlesticks that he accidentally forgot when he was cleaning the place out. The police then leave, and Jean Valjean is shocked at what the priest has done. And the priest simply says to him, with this silver, I've bought your soul, and I've given it back to God. What God wants to release in the world is Christians who live with a kind of self-sacrificing love they would do anything to reach broken people. Because God has a vision for 2020. If Christians at the end of this year have not spent all of their time trying to destroy political rivals, have not spent all their time calling people stupid for disagreeing, but instead have lived lives of love and sacrifice and kindness and wisdom, then the day could actually arrive where all the world around us looks and says, look at how the Christians love. I've never seen such a generous people. I've never seen such a gracious people. I've never seen such a forgiving people. Who is behind all this? That's Jesus' vision for the church this year. But will it ever be realized? That's up to us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the way that you love us, that you came and lived in this world and died for us so that we would know your love, so that you'd set us free from the things that we cling to, our anger and our lusts, our selfishness and our greed. Take all those broken tools out of our hands and replace them with love and wisdom, with kindness and with grace. God, may we go about the construction of your kingdom 
using the tools that you want us to use, that we might bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you all. I'll see you again soon. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.